If you want to get those Bibles out and open up to Acts chapter 2. And then also you might take your uh, finger and place it in 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, once you're kind of there, why don't you stand with me and we'll read, uh, I'll read Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 21 to kind of set the stage for us today. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how it is that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those who dwell in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontia and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass on the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Lord, as we're uh, in this great chapter, uh, a chapter that describes an event on the same level as Good Friday, the same level as Easter Sunday, the same level of Ascension Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, Lord, this chapter that we so often um, neglect or ignore uh, because of uh, some fears or past experiences that um, were scary or concerning. Lord, many of us in this room, we're, we're kind of a melting pot here at Calvary, and so we have backgrounds uh, from the conservative side of things, uh, from the liberal side of things theologically, and we pray that you would give us good balance, um, Lord, to, to be able to be grounded in your word and full of the Spirit all at the same time. Um, we pray that you would distribute gifts today as you will. And even if that would be the gift of tongues, Lord, for people's private prayer life or the gift of interpretation so that in those right settings, there could be this wonderful gift displayed. Lord, here we are. We just want all that you have for us in 2022 Primeville. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, this is part two of the day of Pentecost. 
uh, part two of the gift of tongues. And, um, you know, as Calvary chapels, we've kind of been self-labeling ourselves for years as charismatics, but with a seatbelt, okay? And that seatbelt is the word of God. That seatbelt is the scripture that very well does it tether us to be grounded in um, decency and order and propriety. And yet at the same time, uh, you know, we're able to be bold and um, encouraging and edifying and powerful, all of those wonderful things. And, and so, uh, you know, a, a couple years ago, I think it was around 2014, there was a very well-known pastor that's kind of known to be what is called theologically a cessationist, okay? Cessationist. Cessationists uh, essentially believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased, that's where that ceased cessation, they ceased with uh, the formation of the Bible, as we have it today, the recognition of the canon, um, and also the death of the last apostles. And that when those things happened, that there wasn't any more need for kind of the ecstatic and the dramatic gifts um, because we had the word of God, you know? Um, and so oftentimes the cessationists will use a 1 Corinthians 13 as really their main grounding, their main passage that says that uh, whether there are prophecies, they will fail, and whether there are tongues, they will cease. Um, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And so they kind of see that, oh man, we have the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God right here. And man, if you know Calvary Chapel, if you know Rory Rogers, we love the Bible. It is our authority. There's no other book for me, as the old children's song says. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-L-E, right? Um, and, uh, and, and as perfect as it is, you know, every commentator up until the 20th century believed that that which is perfect that will come is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, and that, that 1 Corinthians 13 isn't a great proof text for the cessation of the gifts. And when I say cessationists believe in the ceasing of the gifts, it's especially those miraculous gifts and those um, sign gifts such as healings, such as prophecy, such as tongues, interpretation of tongues, word of knowledge, words of wisdom, um, a lot of those sign-type gifts, the miraculous, miraculous, the gift of miracles. And so uh, that was a long introduction just to say what a cessationist was, but you know, sometimes we need a little instruction, right? Uh, and so this wonderful man, this wonderful pastor, I've got a couple of his commentaries on my bookshelf, have some great respect for him. Um, he came out just a few years ago and, and had a conference where he really condemned any of the charismatic churches um, that are using these gifts today. Um, even coming out and, and calling out Calvary chapels and saying, you know, Calvary chapels, man, you guys are, if not heretics, borderline heresy. And, uh, and you know, as uh, one of my favorite motivational speakers says, uh, when you have stuff that's hard to hear like that, you can actually say, good. Yeah, when hard stuff happens, you can say, good on the hard stuff. Why? Because it makes you think. It makes you start looking at, well, what do we believe? Are we heretics? That's a good thing to examine. We should do that every now and then, all right? And it got us as Calvary chapels thinking, okay, theologically, we are continuists, which means we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation 
today, but we've been practically cessationists. That means we've been acting like they died away with the apostles and the giving of the canon of scripture. So that got us thinking, and we as Calvary Chapel begin to say, man, theologically we're continuous, but practically we're behaving like we're cessationists. What's up with that? What's up with that? And, uh, and so what we did is we actually, uh, we actually pulled out old archival footage of that same pastor commending us in like the early 90s. He's like, you know, man, those Calvary Chapel guys, they might be charismatics, but they're not charismaniacs. You know, they, and he says, I got to commend them that they stay tethered to the word of God. So something happened, you know, between those 20 years or so where, you know, he just kind of got tipped to where like, no, just nothing, no charismata, no gifts, no sign gifts. And it caused us to go, man, we need to start giving place to the sign gifts, you know? And so it's really opened up more times of like waiting on the Lord like this. And, and then it's times like going through the book of Acts where it causes us to go, and yet we've kind of slumped back into cessationism. We need to keep creating those opportunities where the gifts are in use. And so you'll see that here at Calvary in times like our week of fasting and prayer, where we have special even days given over to healing. We just pray and fast for healing. And we've seen people healed here at our church during prayer and fasting, or we give place during the pulse prayer meeting for words of knowledge, words of wisdom, um, words of tongues with the interpretation of tongues. And so just trying to provide safe and good places for coachable and teachable moments on how to use these gifts that we believe are still in operation uh, today. Now, uh, I don't know if that was like the most brutal and excruciating introduction you've ever been through in your entire life, but I kind of enjoyed it. Um, And uh, what we're gonna do is we're doing part two on the gift of tongues. As we go through the book of Acts chapter two, um, chapter two is not about tongues, okay? So we wanna be careful because that's not the point of Acts chapter two. The point of Acts chapter two is The promise of the father is sent to the new church for the church age that's just starting. The promise of the father, which is the Holy Spirit's power being poured out on the church so that they can be all that the church wants them to be, uh, that the Lord wants them to be. They're gonna be bold. They're gonna be courageous. They're gonna be gifted. Uh, They're gonna be going out and preaching the gospel with power. And so the book of Acts chapter two is about the Holy Spirit being given for courage. Uh, it's about the introduction to the day of the Lord. Did you catch when Peter went and quoted Joel chapter two and he talked about the end times, the end days, all the way from Jesus' ascension and the day of Pentecost, clear to what you're reading about in the book of Revelation where you know the moon is turning blood red and all of that tribulation type stuff, that that period between day of Pentecost and rapture of the church and great tribulation and all of that, all of that is filled with the Holy Spirit's gifts being used in the world, okay? So, uh, so, we went through, uh, so we went through that the main point isn't tongues. You might remember that from last week. It's the power given to the church. It's the introduction to the church age. It's the introduction period to uh, the day of the Lord or the end times, okay? But we also do observe that tongues is given and we all ask, what's up with that? Does it still happen today? Is it scary? Is it weird? 
Should we all run out of like this building right now? Like it's on fire or something, you know, uh, or is it something that God has for us and there's a proper use for it and maybe we should even pray for it? Uh, and so we are looking at 17 main points about the gift of tongues. Last week, we just looked at five, all right? So quick review of what five are. Number one, uh, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues out as a gift, okay? So he distributes the gifts. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that it's the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts as he wills. Now, whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, I try to just take a little moment to share with you who the Holy Spirit is. Because if you're new to walking with the Lord and you, you maybe don't got the whole Trinity thing figured out, you're gonna think that the Holy Spirit is just some kind of force, you know, some sort of Star Wars type thing, you know, or some sort of electrical current that if you, you know, touch something that's grounded and something that's, you know, you're, you know, and you're, this is a little freaky, right? Um, and so it's important to know the Holy Spirit is not a force, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person, okay? He is the third person of the triune Godhead, okay? Maybe when you were kids or you heard people talking about when you were younger about the Trinity, okay? That there is one God and he exists in three separate persons, okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all right? Uh, and so it's important, important to note that the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit has a personality, uh, in Chuck Smith's book, Living Water, in which he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, his introductory chapter is about the, the personality of the Holy Spirit, and it's titled Personality Plus, okay? Um, and, and you see that the, the Holy Spirit has um, feelings. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. He has a job description. Uh, he is a distributor of gifts. He's known as a comforter. He's known as a helper. He's the one that comes alongside you and brings to remembrance the things that you've been learning about Jesus. He helps you testify of Jesus. So this is not some inanimate object or some force. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we wanna be sure to use the pronoun he, okay? Uh, the, the Holy Scripture reveals the Holy Spirit to us as a he, not an it, Okay, and oftentimes I correct myself. I'll be talking about the Holy Spirit and then I'll drop an it bomb, you know, and I'll be like, no, 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 no. He, you know, he's a person. He's not, an, you know, a force, all right? He's not gravity, all right? He's not electricity. He is God. And so he distributes gifts, spiritual gifts. He's like the true and better Saint Nick. You know, he's just got his gift bag and he is just distributing gifts. First Corinthians 12 says he distributes them as he wills or as he sees fit. Here in chapter two, you see that they begin to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So he's the one that gives those gifts, all right? First uh, Corinthians 12 asks us, do all speak with tongues? Do all prophesy? Do all interpret? Do all teach? You know, it, basically it's a rhetorical question saying, does everybody have every gift? And the answer is no. Uh, some people speak in tongues. Some people prophesy. Some people, people have spiritual gifts. Some people are administrators. And the Lord is the one that gives us those gifts. Now that protects us against two things. Number one, that protects us against pride and that we would not get puffed up and haughty and be like, well, you know what gifts I have? I'm so awesome. I have this, that, and the other, you know? And you got to remember, no, 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 the Lord 
graciously gave you that. You wouldn't have it if it wasn't just his grace that gave it. The second thing that it protects us from is jealousy. When I see someone else with a gift or gift set that I want, um, I can be jealous. I can be like, man, you wouldn't even believe what I'd do if I had that gift, you know? And the Lord's like, hey, you know what? I've given him that gift because I've seen it fit for him. I've given her this gift because I've seen it fit for her. And I distribute as I will. And that causes us to rejoice in our gift set. It also causes us to ask the Lord for gifts, knowing that he's the good one who gives them. All right. Um, Man, there's a lot there. That was number one. Okay. Uh, One other point with that. Um, Not everybody is going to have the gift of tongues. Not everybody is going to have the gift of prophecy. And that ought to bring a little encouragement that my point in this two-part series is that by the time we leave these, lock those doors back there. Until you get out of here, you're going to speak some tongues to me. You got to, you ain't no Christian. Okay, you're not going to be hearing that here. That's not my point from all of this, okay? That was a joke. You guys kind of like, ha, ha, oh, whoo. Okay, you can loosen up just a little bit. All right, uh, number two, the gift of tongues is speaking a language that you are not taught by natural means, okay? So um, good on you for taking two years of Espanol in high school, all right? And you can speak like, me gusto los papas fritas, okay? Um, but that's something that you learn by natural means, okay? The gift of tongues is speaking a human language that you uh, learned, not by natural means, but the Holy Spirit gave you the ability to utter that for that time. Um, but it also may be a non-natural language, like the tongues of angels, First Corinthians says, or praying in the Spirit, as Paul says. So um, it may be an intelligible language that someone else may know just through their natural understanding, or it may be like the tongues of angels. The third thing we talked about, and this is important and we'll look at it later today as well, tongues is declaring the marvelous works of God. All right, so when someone is praying out in a tongue, they are vertically worshiping God, declaring the marvelous works of God, or as Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius's house When they heard them speak in tongues, they were uh, magnifying God in their tongue. So tongues is declaring the marvelous works of God and magnifying God, all right? Uh, And then uh, the fourth thing was that we are not to let the mockers silence the speaking in tongues, right? So on that day, people first heard it. Man, there was some confusion. There was some amazement. These guys are astounded hearing this. And then there were those that were the mockers and they made jest and they said, oh, these guys are drunk. Uh, And they used that as an opportunity to make fun of them. And, you know, if you're like me, you don't really appreciate people making fun of you. You know, you don't go through middle school with an Adam's apple like this, (laughs) with teeth like this, you know, with eyes like this, you know, and, and posture like this you know, without getting made fun of a little bit, a little bit of Quasimodo action, a little bit of, you know, mosquito face, you know, all those great things. Uh, Never hurt me, never wounded me, not even once. I just hardly remember it at all. (laughs) Um, You know, but you know, as people make fun of you, it makes you like, oh, you kind of shrink back and you don't see in the New Testament like, oh, we're not going to use this one anymore. People think you're drunk, you know. Uh, Don't let the mockers silence a proper use of this gift. The fifth thing, the gifts of the spirit and the tongues are useful in the last days of which we're in. So again, uh, Peter quotes Joel chapter two. We see that these are useful things on the maid servants, on the men servants, on the old men, on on the young men, on the older women, on the younger women. There's no 
distinction that they all, all people can have the gifts of the Spirit if they've been born again and are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to today. Okay, so those are the first five things. Now we're going to go through another 12, and you guys are ready for it. All right. Um, but where we're going to go now is we're going to hop over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 14. Remember, 1 Corinthians 12, all about spiritual gifts. There's a non-exhaustive list of some of the spiritual gifts there. Uh, chapter 13 is that, well, you know, even the more excellent thing is that we are making sure to be loving one another. And then, but let's go back to proper use between prophesying in the church and using the gift of tongues in the church. Now, the gift of tongues is mentioned 25 times in the New Testament, okay? 19 of those times is found in 1 Corinthians. 14 of those 19 times is found in this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is dealing with the abuse of tongues in the gathered assembly. Now, that should be helpful to us. Many of us want to kind of run away from this gift or hearing this gift because we've seen it abused maybe in other churches, denominations, um, and so we, we, we're scared of that. Now, Paul says, don't worry, I've seen it abused too, and I want to make sure we kind of come back and focus on how to properly use it. Um, Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 14 is that tongues is profitable for our prayer life, but um, the intelligible gifts, or those that we can all understand, are better for the public assembly. So uh, verse 1 speaks about prophecy, but verse 2 is where we'll pick up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, uh, but to God. So uh, our sixth point of the gift of tongues is that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, okay? Now, uh, that's important because as we speak in tongues, we're declaring the marvelous works of God. We are declaring the majesty of God. We're speaking towards God. And, uh, and then at the end of that verse there, it says, in that we're speaking mysteries. Now, this is helpful because if there's going to be an interpretation with that tongue in a public setting, um, it is going to be an interpretation that is uh, it's directed towards God. For instance, let's say we're having a prayer meeting. Somebody feels like, man, the Lord would have them speak out in a tongue, and we're all waiting anxiously for that interpretation so that it's done in order and decently, and someone speaks up. And it's just such an encouraging time that someone's brave and courageous and steps out like that. But if that person speaks up and says, thus saith the Lord, you know, automatically you can be like, there's three things wrong with this person. Um, but, but the first thing that you should say is, oh, this guy's kind of going more of like a prophecy bent. You know, this guy's going more of like a prophecy direction um, or like a word of knowledge direction. Um, it, but if it was gonna be that interpretation, it would be basically an explanation of this vertic vertical relationship, magnifying God, worship towards God. It's prayer from men to God. Or let's say uh, that individual spoke out and said, uh, Little children, listen, as the interpretation. Uh, you would automatically be able like, oh, that's really nice, but that's just not the uh, interpretation. So now, I believe that if we're ever in a place like this as we're growing in spiritual gifts, I think the Lord is so gracious, you know, and we wanna give place for being a coach and being coached, being uh, a shepherd and being shepherded, and that, you know, oh, gosh, that's awesome that you stepped out in, in faith. That just actually... Uh, we're going to hold off on that for a second. 
that would be not an interpretation because it went more man towards God, okay? And, um, and just like, it's not like, get out of here, you know? No, it's like, okay, that was just, that wasn't it. So let's just wait just a little bit more for uh, that that was it. Second thing though, um, it's from man to God, but also in our tongue, we speak mysteries, okay? And uh, Paul even said in Ephesians, pray for me that I might open my mouth and make known the mystery of the gospel. And so it's declaring the marvelous works of God, even the marvelous mystery of the gospel. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, as we just kind of work our way through this text, we're going to hop over a lot of this chapter because it has to deal with prophecy and that's not our focus today. But it does say, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. When you look at New Testament prophecy and this gift of prophecy, you're looking at just an immediate ability to speak forth the heart of God, to teach the word, and to preach the gospel. I don't believe that New Testament gift of prophecy is kind of on that thus saith the Lord plane. You don't really have that same need because we do have the revelation of the word. Um, there may be word of knowledge or there may be a word of wisdom such as, you know, I think you, the Lord might have you consider moving to Timbuktu or whatever, you know, and there may be that kind of exhortation. But as far as like that apostolic, thus saith the Lord, it just doesn't have the same bite in the New Testament that it had in the Old Testament. And I'm, you know, bite can be good, you know, really into plumbing right now and shark bite. I'm like, that thing's awesome. Where's this been the last 40 years? You know, bite can be good. But the Old Testament bite, it was like, hey, the prophet speaks, you listen up and you do exactly what it says. New Testament, man, you look at even Agabus, the prophet, he'd say things about a famine coming. Amen. They prepared for the famine. He'd say things about, you know, uh, don't go towards Jerusalem, Paul. They're going to bind you up with this belt and they'd beg him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, what are you doing breaking my heart, weeping for me, telling me not to go? I got to go preach the gospel in Jerusalem and then in Rome. But man, if a prophet had bound your hand with a belt and was just begging and pleading for you not to go, you'd stick around with the prophet and listen to what the prophet... So it's just not the same level that you would have in the Old Testament. What you do see prophecy is in the New Testament is right here in 14.3, it is three things. Prophecy is number one, edification. Okay, it's a building up. It's a construction of the church. You're built up as the prophecy is spoken forth. Number two, it's exhortation. Exhorting is kind of like spurring somebody on, you know, if you're, if you've got an animal, a horse and you, you know, he's not crossing the creek, you know, or he's not getting the gas going to catch that calf, give it a little bit of spur, get him going a little faster, you know? And, uh, in the same way, the exhortation, it's the spurring of the brethren, get, you know, get going. It's kind of in between encouragement and rebuke and correction. It's that let's get going guys. You know, um, that's what prophecy is. And then it's also a comforting thing. Prophecy speaks comfort to men. Um, you know, as a church, we pray for nations. Every other week, we pray for a different nation at our prayer meeting. Last night, we prayed for Afghanistan and the persecuted church and the unreached and the, the Muslims in Afghanistan. Two weeks ago, we prayed for Morocco, praying for the unreached and the persecuted church in Morocco. And uh, one year, we were praying for Iraq and just laboring intensity and praying for Iraq at a prayer meeting. Then a woman came in and, you know, she's not a normal part of our church. And she just spoke up that... Uh, 
you know, um, ISIS is going to invade America. It's going to kill all of us. We just need to be terribly afraid, you know, and it just stirred this, like everyone just began to panic, like, you know, like, ah, you know, it's like, man, I'm not edified, exhorted, or comforted in any of this, you know, and, uh, you know, and so we got to be able to test prophecies, 1 Corinthians 14, and so when I, ISIS does invade the United States and they got those Toyota Tundras with the black flags waving behind them, I'll be like, eh, he was right. What do you know, you know? But until that is able to be tested, man, it doesn't do the church any good to just be all freaked out and stockpiling their weapons and their five-gallon buckets of freeze-dried jerky. You know, like, I love jerky like everybody, but if you have some, I'd be willing to buy some from you for a good price. Okay, anyways, all right. What about tongues, Roy? I don't know. I kind of lost track a while ago. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So uh, this is number seven. The gift of tongues is the only gift in the gift sets that edifies the person speaking it rather than the rest of the church. Now, edify means to build up, okay? So tongues is the only gift out of all of them that's not for thee, but it's for me. It's for, especially for my private prayer time. We use the word private prayer closet. Um, if you saw my closet, you'd know why I don't pray in there. Um, I'm a bit of a pile guy, you know, and, uh, but you know, wherever it is in our truck, you know, or as we're out, um, going for a hike or going for a walk and we're praying to the Lord, it's a great place to utilize this gift. And as you do, you're edified and you're built up. So unless there's an interpreter, uh, the church isn't edified by that gift. Um, but prophecy is the opposite of that. If you're prophesying, the whole church is able to be edified. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, we see a little bit of how this self-edification works. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And so this passage also is not primarily speaking about tongues, but the intercessory role of the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a praying spirit. The Son, Jesus Christ, is an interceding, praying Son. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And so the Holy Spirit, as he's praying, we see a bit of a dichotomy here that he's actually able to take the groanings and the pleadings and the praying in tongues and he's able to interpret it. He's able to pray it out. Uh, he searches the heart and he knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to um, the will of God. And so uh, the gift of tongues edifies the individual and oftentimes you find yourself maybe using this gift in times where words fall short. It's in times of desperation. It's in times of tragedy. It's in times of deep need. It's in times of wonderful rejoicing. It's in times of realizing that you're going to be, you know, praying, uh, preaching in front of a couple hundred people the next day and you got nothing. You need more of the Lord. Those are the times I'm like, oh, you know, um, I need more of you, Lord. Um, when I'm driving, when I'm walking, when I'm hiking, uh, I'm edified as I'm praying out in this prayer, knowing that the Lord knows what I'm saying, even if I don't. First Corinthians 14, five, Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Can you believe he said that? I mean, I find this helpful that Paul through the, or I should say the Holy Spirit through Paul wished that all of the Corinthians spoke with tongues. 
And you almost think that you shouldn't say that in the church, huh? Now, the Corinthians were a church that came short in no spiritual gift um, and that were even abusing tongues. And Paul said, no, 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 let's not let misuse take away proper use. I wish that you all spoke with tongues. Or in the Greek, I wish that you, or I would that you all spoke with tongues. Or maybe you've got the NIV version. I would like every one of you to speak with tongues. Now, do you all speak with tongues? No. Would I like everybody to speak in tongues? Yes. Okay, so not everybody speaks in tongues, but I do believe, and you can hold it loosely, I do believe that this is a gift that is available for everybody that would ask for it with an eagerness. That it's, an, it's the only gift that edifies the person that's doing it. Okay, I believe the Lord wants you to be edified and this is something that you can seek the Lord for and uh, in his own good time, he'll give it. It's nothing to stress about, nothing to feel condemned about. I think the Lord might have this for you and I wish that you all uh, spoke with tongues. Um, you know, and then you kind of go to the extreme of that and say, uh, like some denominations, you're not a Christian if you don't speak in tongues or you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. And I would just say, I just don't agree with that. You know, I was a little severe in the first service and called it heresy. I don't think I'm gonna go there. Sorry, you know, I repent for my first service comment. But I mean, man, I just don't see that consistent with the gospel. And I don't see that consistent with the fruits of Christians. I don't think that's the fruit. And I don't think that's the sign of someone who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But um, I promised you guys another good Honda joke. Um, you guys remember last week talked about a Honda. They were all... Uh, they were all in one accord, right? <laughs> okay, um, well, I've heard stories of a college ministry that was really trying to emphasize the gift of tongues on the young college students and really pressing that you're not born again unless you speak in tongues. You're not baptized with the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. And these college kids are like, I don't even know where to start. And so this is often the case. They would create little phrases that would make it easy for you to start wiggling your tongue like that, you know? And so the phrase was that I have heard is, um, I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Hyundai. Should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Hyundai. Okay, so that's just a good way to get the old juices. Okay, just kidding. All right. Now, the gift of tongues is not the only evidence of the filling with the Holy Spirit, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, but it is one of the most common evidences of uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, moving on. You guys are like, that's 15 minutes of my life I'll never get back, although I did learn a fun little saying. First uh, Corinthians 14, 12. Even so, Corinthians, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. You know, spiritual gifts, they're either something that people are super ignorant of or they're either something that, or they're something that people are super zealous about. And sometimes in the zeal, you just lose all reason and forget why God even gives these gifts. The reason we should be stoked about spiritual gifts is because spiritual gifts build up local congregations. They encourage people and people start living for the Lord and making him known to the world. So we get stoked about spiritual gifts at Calvary, but it's not for the ecstatic or the dramatic or goosebumps on the back of your neck or so when we get all wigged out or so one person can just kind of be the center of attention for all. It's so that we can build up the church and display Christ to the world. So uh, number eight, all gifts exercised in the church have the purpose of edifying the church. There's a mutual benefit, okay? Uh, 
1 Corinthians 14, 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So number nine, if you have the gift of tongues, pray that you may interpret. And I appreciate this. Um, I have always eagerly and earnestly prayed for interpretation of tongues. Uh, there's times where I'm like, I have like a fog, like, you know, I don't mean this like an actual fog, but it's like, oh, I'm, I'm almost there. Like if I hear the interpretation, I'm like, I was almost there, you know, but I don't think I like have that gift, but I earnestly pray for that gift and uh, eagerly uh, pray for the gift of interpretation. Now the word interpret means to be able to explain something and to explain it thoroughly. It's not a word for word translation. And so uh, e- eagerly pray for that. I think that that's one gift that we should really be praying for so that we can rightfully use the gift of tongues in the public setting. Now, I have so earnestly prayed for that gift that uh, I was remembering in my school of ministry Bible college days, a little story time so you can just let, the, let it down a little bit, relax, okay? Uh, in my Bible college days, my teacher who taught me about spiritual gifts said, when it comes to tongues, sometimes when people pray out in tongues, you know, they're so nervous about praying out and they're praying in a public setting. Their hands are all sweaty or whatever that they just speak it super duper fast. And it's like, you know, it's just almost, un- you know, it's just more unintelligible than it would have been anyways. And so my instructor said, so I would encourage you guys, if you're ever praying out in tongues, try to slow it down a little bit. You know, try to slow it down a little bit. Give a moment for people to, to pray for the interpretation. And, uh, and then maybe even repeat that tongue Again, and so I'm, I'm writing in my notes like slow it down a little bit and maybe repeat it, you know. Years later, we're in our Saturday night prayer meeting in Corvallis and uh, our missionary pastor, Larry Lyon, prays out in tongues and we're all praying there and I'm just like, oh Lord, please give me the gift of interpretation. You know how much I've just been wanting that and I wanna be able to interpret the tongue and let it be edifying to everybody here and, and then my Bible college notes came back to my brain. Say it slower and repeat it. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm kind of like, hey, Larry, Larry, can you say that slower and repeat it? And he's kind of like, you know, and uh, Chris and I are always joking about it. Just Chris was there. And so Chris, he's like, Rory, you were like this. You're like, Larry, hey, Larry, can you slow it down? <laughs> Should about a Honda. No, uh, you know, can you, okay, now repeat it just one more time, Larry. And man, by this point, I mean, people, I think there might've been 50 people there or something, and they're all like sitting on the edge of their seats like, we're gonna see it, you guys. We're gonna see it. Interpretation, it's coming. This is awesome. They're all on the, and I'm just like, I got nothing. nothing. (laughs) And after the prayer meeting, Larry comes up, he's like, what was that? I'm like, "Ah." you remember when we learned about say it slowly? He's like, I never heard that, and that's not a thing, and you can't find it in the Bible. Question is, who looked dumber, me or you? I don't know. I think it was you. Okay. Uh, So, you may still try that. I don't know. Okay. All right. So, verses 14 through 19. Just pray that you'll interpret it. And by the way, if you have an interpretation, if you're ever in a place where that is a need, just be bold and courageous. Just be bold and courageous. Like I feel, and now you got some theology behind it. Is it declaring the marvelous works of God? 
Is it declaring his majesty? And what I'm sensing, is it more like, hey, you guys, the Lord wants you guys to know this, you know, on, on a more prophetic, or is it, no, man, there's just, it's like the Psalms being just poured out in worship to the Lord. Um, it's just helpful to know these things, right? Um, verses 14 through 19 tell us our deep need for an interpreter. I got 13 seconds left to go through the next, I don't know, what, five more? Um, the need for an interpreter, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Um, verse 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. So uh, we get it. When we pray in tongues, we don't know what we're saying unless you also have interpretation. But Paul's conclusion isn't like, then bag it, forget about it. No, but my conclusion is I'll still pray in spirit and sing in the spirit. That's a beautiful way to use the gift. And you know what? When I'm with my bros and my sisters, I'm going to pray in English, you know, so everybody can be edified. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, so that's just another thing. Tongues is blessing God. That's a little extra, extra one for you. How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say. And so what these verses begin to show us is what place logic and intelligence have in our worship. We praise the Lord according to good theology that you can think through. It's not just a bunch of mumbo jumbo feelings, you know, like it's gotta be thought out biblical stuff that we're given to the Lord here. And people need to be able to say amen to it. Amen? I'm not sure how I feel about that, somebody says. Okay, just kidding. Um, we see that tongues is blessing and it's giving of thanks. You see that in verses 16 and 17. Blessing the spirit, giving of thanks. An Italian reformer said, when prayer reaches its ultimate, words are not enough. And again, if you've ever been there where you've lost somebody dear to you or there's been a tragedy um, man, you guys, I saw something about a little boy that harmed himself recently because of bullying, and he's in the hospital, and I don't, man, I just watched the family grieve over that little boy, and I just held my kids so tight. It, like, that affected me last night and this morning, and I just, like, when you're in those places where your family members die, and you've got nothing to pray, you don't have words, or the cancer has come, or the wound, or the sin is there, and and or there's the rejoicing. The provision has come. I don't even know what to say. You are so good in provision. Like the words fall short, but the spirit is able to pray beyond that. First Corinthians 14, 18, I thank my God that I sp speak with tongues more than you all. Rory, you're kind of up there talking like you're the only guy in the church that prays in tongues. It seems a little, I'm just thankful that I speak in tongues and I'm thankful that I probably do it more than you guys. You know, I'm not boasting, you know, but I want you all to also have this great edifying gift. 1 Corinthians 14, 19. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, don't be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And so what he's getting at here is the intellect in worship is so important. It's better to just speak five words of exhortation, encouragement, and comfort to men than 10,000 words of that are in unintelligible, okay? Uh, we'll have the worship team come on up and we'll just kind of go through these final ones. 
Verse uh, 21, in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all of that, they still do not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but unbelievers. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God truly is among you. All right, so number 10, tongues are a sign for non-believers, but not necessarily in a good way. Isaiah refers to it in a negative way that tongues is a sign that the Lord's speaking to you, but you're rejecting his goodness. In Acts chapter two, tongues was a sign for those hearing that something incredible was happening in that place. Uh, 26 through 28 in our verses. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So powerhousing through these last ones. Isn't it great that Johnny's teaching another class? <laughs> you guys just start humming. and Okay. Just do that when I'm, which what the Southern Baptists do. Yeah. So you do that and I'll keep going. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, our 11th thing. In the church service, there's to be one, two, or three at the most with an interpreter between each speaker. That's the order of the New Testament. In other words, the whole service isn't t- supposed to be about tongues. Okay? Uh, number 12. If there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Now, I just see that, man, the Lord is so gracious that when we're stepping out in faith and using these gifts, I just think there's such a severity sometimes on squashing something. Like, oh man, I just, you know, spoke in tongues, but there wasn't an interpreter. And then you just feel like maybe the leadership's gonna be like, well, 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 look who's, you know? And it's like, no, it's like, man, praise the Lord. You had the boldness to pray out in tongue. I commend that. But in obedience, we're gonna hold off. We'll try it again next week, you know, if that's what the Lord has. Or we're gonna give just a place for a little bit longer to let that person with an interpretation speak up. And I believe that if someone has the boldness to speak out in tongues, then the Lord is so good in providing that there's gotta be someone in the room with the interpretation. But it takes guts and boldness to speak it out, doesn't it? About time. (laughs) No, just kidding. Hi, middle schoolers. Um, number 13, unless you're going to give an opportunity for interpretation, then you just go ahead and speak to yourself and to God with your tongue. Number 14, in our own prayer life, there's not the instruction as to where you can pray in tongues, how long you can pray in tongues, how loud in your private prayer closet you can pray in tongues. There's no instruction in the word in that. And so you can just pray out, um, uninhibited to the Lord in that prayer. Verses 29 through 40, and and I'm just going to summarize it, speaks of do not forbid speaking in tongues. You think that is a reference to any churches in our day that just tongues is not allowed in their congregation. We forbid it. Like, man, there's literally a sentence right here in the Bible that says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And so it's just like, man, we learn and unlearn as we go through the word, don't, don't we? Number 17, 
And this comes from chapter 12, verse 31. Earnestly desire the best gift. And for your prayer life, I think that this is the best gift. I think it's a gift worth asking for and earnestly desiring. And so you guys can go ahead and uh, set your things aside and really wanted to get through that. I didn't want to necessarily give a third week towards that, um, as wonderful and as powerful as it is. And why don't you stand with me? Man, I just know that uh, within the Christian churches, there this is an open-handed issue. It's what we call open-handed or a gray issue, that there are Jesus lovers across the street or down the road. They love Jesus. They love the word. They're just doing their best to rightly divide the scripture and interpret it. And, and they may come to a different understanding on this than us. I just say that to emphasize our humility and how we use the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts here, I should say. Um, and understand that Calvary Chapel, man, we, sometimes we got Baptists, Baptist background, Southern Baptists, you know. Sometimes we got four square people that come here. We got, you know, and we just, let's just always have a humble position of learning and unlearning. Just as we come to the word, we want the word to inform us, not necessarily my denominational bent. I want to be a Christian. I want to be biblical. And I want all that the Lord has for me as I come to his word. And so here we are, Lord, rejoicing in who you are. What a morning of singing sweet songs to you about your triumph and the resurrection and what you did for us on the cross and, uh, and Lord, here we e- eagerly and earnestly desire whatever gift you have for us, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most physically able and capable to just those that are in regular need of physical assistance. I think of Corrie Tin Boom and how uh, later in her life she went to Calvary Costa Mesa and she felt so condemned and guilty because she couldn't serve in the church anymore, but she was a prayer warrior. And Chuck's uh, encouragement to her was, you have no idea the deep ministry you have by praying for the church from your bed. And, and Lord, just that you would just stir up in us the gifts that are most needed for us and for our congregation. And Lord, I pray that you would branch us out a little bit, stretch us a little bit in the understanding of tongues. Let us step out a little bit as we're, as we're driving to work or as we're alone on that hike or out on the trail or... Um, Lord, just in our prayer closet, maybe you would have this for us and it would be a very wonderfully edifying thing. We trust you. We say this is your church. Keep it decent. Keep it in order. But Lord, keep it powerful uh, for your kingdom. Let's close in song.